0: Microphone check one two, what is this? It's the five foot seven assassin in the podcast business. And we're back with another episode of QLC TV. My name is Rohan and I'm the host of this lovely show where I aim to give you authentic insight into the world of music, which will be a primary focus as it's my absolute utmost passion in the world. I just love music. I'll also be talking about politics, culture, sports, as well as personal topics related to growing into adulthood. As all of this is delivered from the perspective of a 25-year-old Indian man living in Canada, trying to make sense of not only myself, but of the world. So all in all, I thank you so much for listening and taking part in this creative journey that I'm embarking on with QLC TV. And I just hope that this platform will not only give myself, but give those listening something nice to look forward to when they wake up in the morning. Because if I achieved that, then I've succeeded. Good day, everybody. My name is Rohan. It's August 23rd, and I'm here to talk all music today in this episode of QLC TV, starting with the Drake track review of Laugh Now, Cry Later, featuring Lil Dirk. And then also I'm going to transition into talking about going to be a kind of a new segment, new music roundup, where basically I just talk about the latest music that's came out. I'll deep dive on a couple projects, and then just quickly touch on my thoughts on other projects, other songs that have came out. So, starting with this Drake song. I overall, I think it's pretty good. At first, it was definitely kind of bland, but then the beat, the warmth in the trumpets, uh, the horns that are playing definitely adds to the song and it's pretty catchy. I think Drake's flow is pretty nice, especially towards the end of the song where it seems like it's just the hook constantly with any transitions but then he transitions into a to a verse that sounds really good. Lil Dirk's addition to the song was okay. Like I'm not a huge fan of him but it didn't wreck the song. So does it make me more excited for this project, uh, that should be coming out anytime now, called Certified Lover Boy? Not really. I think in the in the canon of Drake singles, this is definitely one of his worst, but it's still a pretty good one, I can't lie. But what I find more interesting than the actual track itself is that Once this came out, and once I heard the news that a new Drake album was coming out soon, I took some time over the past week to revisit some of his old work. In particular, I listened to Nothing Was The Same a couple times, I listened to Take Care once, and I listened to If You're Reading This, It's Too Late. And, and also I listened to Scorpion a couple times, and that's where I'll start with. Especially Side A of Scorpion, it's actually pretty damn good, and think when i originally listened to it in 2018 i was on the heels of the story of added and overall push a t beef that really soured me to drake at that time and just kind of i think gave me a bias that just strengthened my bias that i already have that i don't really like drake the way he moves in the industry i don't really love that but so I didn't really give it, I think, a fair shake But I think now that I've listened to it a couple times It's been a couple years later I have to admit that the rapping on Side A Does actually stand as some of his best work Especially when it comes to the sneak disses that he that he throws at Kanye Some of these are just really good And I'm sure really got under Kanye's skin As we later saw He seemed to be melting down every day about something to do with drake and yeah i think i think it was his lyrics were actually very good on that on that side a for the most part all the songs are quite good uh particularly emotionless sandra's rose with some really nice clever wordplay really good production uh non-stop's a, a nice catchy song albeit a little kind of dumb at times in the lyrics but but it passes. Is there more? It's a really nice closer. A really nice closer. It's that classic introspective Drake that he always delivers at the end of his albums. And I think that in the production it just he's talking about things that only Drake can talk about. This is not even rapping about rich people problems. This is rapping about being the biggest star, musical star, arguably in the world, problems. And I just think he he has some nice slick wordplay, uh some nice observations that although I don't relate to them, it's it's just the way he portrays it, it's just interesting. More interesting than I think again I gave him credit for in the past. And finally, can't take a joke. That song is so catchy. Super super good song. I really like that one. So, Side A was a was a good was a good piece of work for for drake off scorpion but again it doesn't really overall scorpion doesn't beat out uh take care as being my favorite drake project because it's marred from the typical issues that all of drake's projects have had even within half that album of scorpion because as i've been praising side a i can't help but recognize that again there's just two songs or so that are just very bad. God's plan. I don't want to hear that song ever again. It's just so overplayed, but more than that, it's not really a good song, even when I first heard it. And then I'm upset. Like, the beat's okay, but man, the lyrics are so dumb. And especially because it, we have to take it in the context of this was kind of a response to push a T in that beef, it just comes off so weak. So just so timid and so passive aggressive, it just really doesn't come off well for me. And again, it's just another Drake project. Even if we're talking about half the project, because side B, other than a few good R and B cuts like Jaded and Peak Summer Games, side B has like four or five horrible songs, especially Ratchet Happy Birthday. Like what the f- what the hell is that? So. It just highlights again the problems that I keep having with Drake's projects is that it It just always has unnecessary lulls in the track listing, unnecessary filler that just ruins the flow of an album. And I think people mistakenly take that criticism as, and, and kind of just change it a bit and say, oh, all these people that say that they don't understand that Drake's this big pop star, so... You know he's got to make music for the different kinds of crowds that like him because it's not just hip hop heads that like Drake. People that are really into pop music, people that are really into R and B are big parts of his segment, are big segments of his pop of his fan population. So I totally understand that, and that's why I think people kind of mischaracterize where I'm coming from when I talk about Drake and my problems with him and his music, is that. I don't mind that at all. I understand, and it's his choice if he wants to make music that's more poppy, that kind of caters to all those different audiences. I have no problem with that at all. On the contrary, I really like some of his R&B songs. Like, Passion Fruit is absolutely a classic track. And if Drake wanted to mix in more rapping, I mean, mix in more singing with his rapping... I'm always for that. I don't have a problem with that. I do prefer Drake's rapping, but I don't have a problem with his R&B singing because he actually can sing quite well and has a really good knack for songwriting. But the problem I have with him is that I actually... I actually view Drake as a very good artist, and I think he has an immense amount of talent. So my problem isn't that he just caters to all these audiences and makes more of a poppy album. Like, I'm not coming from my perspective, isn't coming from some hip-hop head purist that needs him to dr- to rap 24-7. My perspective is that I think he's a really great artist, and yet he still manages to always have these clunkers on his albums that just don't make sense, that shouldn't be there. Uh, as I mentioned, I've been listening to his other work, Nothing Was the Same, which is Again, a project that I think I was too low on because now that I listen to it, I realize some of the rapping here is really good. Production is very good for the most part. But then there's just songs like The Language, which is just a dumb, dumb song. Sounds so dated in retrospect. Really stupid. I don't care about the subject matter. It's not clever. It's just dumb. And then 305, To My City, Like what the hell? Like, that previously was the worst song Drake's ever released on an album until Ratchet Happy Birthday. And it's just, again, why, is, why are those songs there? Why do they have to be there? You have Hold On, We're Going Home, which is a very poppy R&B song, and that song is good. So again, it's not about having pop songs or having mainstream-like songs. Even Started From The Bottom, I think, is a pretty decent song. I think at the time I didn't want to hear it anymore because it was overplayed, but now hearing it again, it's just a fun song to be, to, you know, ignorantly turn up to, and that's fine. So it's not about that. It's just, again, the quality, the actual sheer quality of these songs don't match up to the rest of the album. So it's either Drake makes albums that are too long, like Views, like absolutely huge miss on his part. The the album is way too long. There's like seven, eight songs that should have been cut off. Even the highlights of that album, though, aren't very good, but still, that album could have at least been pretty decent if it was just trimmed in half. If you're reading this too late, has a lot of energy, has Drake potentially at his peak when it comes to rapping, a lot of great bangers, but again, towards the back half of that track list, just kind of meandering around those spacey R&B songs, and just unnecessary. Drake hasn't released a truly amazing album yet yeah, i think take care is his best but there's still some pitfalls there i still think it's a really great album i do think so but he could be doing so much more and that's what i hope he can deliver on certified lover boy admittedly i don't think he will really do it i think his his drive and his ambition with his music has been diminishing ever since nothing was the same and if you're reading, this is too late time period. But I'm always holding out hope. I always want to listen to good music, so I'm I'm still going to be patiently awaiting that album and will certainly review it on this show and will certainly give it, as much as I can, a fair shake. So now I'll be moving on to that new music roundup segment that I spoke on earlier. I'll be covering music that had been released within the last month, uh and either deep dive on certain projects that I have more to say about and kind of touch on other projects uh quickly just to give you my quick thoughts uh it can be both albums or new singles so i'm going to start off with this new mock homie album mock's hard lemonade so i have i mentioned this guy in my top 20 albums of the mid year but for those who didn't listen to that Mock is an enigmatic, elusive figure in the underground scene of rap who boasts a truly unique and lo-fi sort of abstract hip-hop sound. And he treats his music like rare collectibles where he sells them for extremely high prices. One of his albums, which I think is his best, HBO, sold famously for a thousand dollars a copy was not available on any streaming sites as well. This new project that I'll be talking about now is sold for $444 for like the deluxe vinyl edition, and it's only being streamed exclusively on Tidal. Because those who don't know, Mox actually has a ton of respect in the rap game, and even with the greats like Jay-Z, who runs Tidal, and he's a huge fan of his, and I'm sure they brokered a really favorable deal for him to have it streaming uh, exclusively on Tidal so good for good for, Mach for setting that uh, deal up and overall the way this album was rolled out was unlike any of his previous projects at least over the past few years as I mentioned this is an exclusive stream to Tidal and other than his EP or short project called WAP Con Yogi, Jogi, that album was briefly streaming on like all of the regular streaming uh, distributors like Apple Music, Spotify, Tidal, but then it had been taken off after a month or two. So there was never any exclusive streaming. Otherwise, Mox projects are never really on streaming. They're always only available if you buy it uh, through his store, through his Bandcamp, or something like that. So this was given, it's seemingly like a different level of care. So I was expecting another true, fulsome, complete body of work that would complete, compete with my favorite project of his, HBO, which is a, a, a solid, hour-long, 15 tracks, amazing project. It It manages to carry over a theme that mirrors... This Haitian royalty or like kind of like, yeah, this like Haitian leadership or royalty or uh, that was in charge of that country and how they got and got overthrown. And he interweaves all these really interesting skits that involve art and how exorbitant their wealth was and how that eventually was their downfall. It's really good and it really fits in with this kind of aesthetic. So I was really expecting something like that. And it was further amplified by the fact that there was a fake track list or maybe just a different version of a track list that had 15 songs. So I'm like, okay, finally, Mock's going to deliver a fulsome body of work because he, amongst other artists in this underground scene, are fully engulfed in this trend of really short projects, 20, 25 minutes. But instead, what we got was a 27-minute project, nine tracks. And although it was another good project, another great project, actually, it was still a brief project that, in my opinion, didn't fully cash in on the weighty presentation and rollout that this album had surrounding it. Simply put, I want more Makomi. So a short 27-project like this really suffers from any wasted space or any wasted moments. So on the track, uh, I believe it's track four or track five, it's photocop- photocopy sloppy. And it's basically just a a, sh- a track that details kind of like it's basically just spoken word mock, just spitting about, we're not even spitting, just speaking about the the way that he was able to kind of succeed in the rap game doing his doing things his own way again as i mentioned being very controlling over how his albums are distributed selling his projects for extremely high prices not putting them on streaming for the most part it was all about that he even references his fans as being investors to really show that they they stuck with him since day one and he was getting hated on. People thought, well, your approach to music, like this is never going to work. This is dumb. This is stupid. And look at him now. Uh, he's not some mainstream popular figure, but he's really respected in the underground scene. And again, as I mentioned, respected in rap in general by some of the greats. And I think he's been financially stable to say the least now. And so it's it's a real great success story for him. So he kind of just speaks on that, but he literally just speaks on that. And although it's it's kind of interesting to hear him and it and it it does fit more with the project's kind of ethos, as I'll detail a little later. But I just want him to rap more. I want that to be a rap song, not just you speaking. Because on a short project, any any time where I feel like I want more, it really diminishes the overall quality and my over my overall feelings. Of an album. Like take Daytona. It's not like I'm really against short projects. Daytona is even shorter than this. It's 22 minutes. 21, 22 minutes. But it is razor sharp. Perfectly executed. Absolutely no sound. No syllable is wasted. The production is absolutely incredible. And the rapping. And the rhymes. And the flows. And the energy somehow surpasses even that is absolutely a classic in my opinion so it's not like I'm against short albums it's just that if it's short it better it better not waste any time and I think this album does kind of not always put its best foot forward the the posse cut on this album clout Dracula it's still a good song but again there's like three other features on this project uh, on this song sorry that that are just not... As good as Mok Hami, they're, they're good good features, but I want to hear more of him. So a song that just doesn't doesn't provide the same level of quality that Mok could by himself, it just seems like a missed opportunity and kind of wrecks the flow of the album otherwise. And it's all a shame, in my opinion, that it doesn't really reach the heights I think it could, because I actually do really like... The urgency in the rhymes that I hear, the energy that it gives, the subject matter, the presentation when it comes to the, the production quality. The majority of the production is, is very rich. It's, it's very sophisticated. It really has that nice allure to it that accentuate the eccentricity and the poetry in mock's rhymes really nicely. The intro track shows off the really tasteful sampling found throughout this album with a beautiful horn sample. Uh, then there's also the track Squeaky Hinge that has these really nice uh, piano keys. Again, really give the song a nice bounce, a nice groove, and again, match really nicely with Mach's overall style. Where it sounds luxurious without sounding overly clean or glitzy and glamorous, it's still balances the luxury with the grit and grime that 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 is found and permeates throughout all of Mox's music. When it comes to the brevity of this album, I guess I'll just say that I think his his vibe in his music, he always tends to try to want to paint a picture, paint an atmosphere, a lifestyle. And I think that comes through better on a project that's a little longer. Where you're able to sit in that atmosphere, sit in that feeling for a longer amount of time. Because I contrast this with HBO and I feel like the theme and the impact of that album came through much better. Simply because it was much longer. It's not an album like Daytona where Daytona was right to the point. Bars, very urgent, urgent feeling in the beats, in the subject matter. In the the way what he was rapping about, it was very much trying to hit you, punch you in the face. Mox albums aren't trying to do that the way I take them. They're not trying to punch you in the face. And I think it suffers again from not being as long. But all this being said, all these criticisms that I have are more just disappointments because I love Mox style and I'm recognizing some unfulfilled potential on this album. But I truly do enjoy this album a lot, because all my criticisms withstanding, Mock is rapping very good, and I think some of his best rapping in years, and the production quality is, is, is very on point throughout. The features are really nicely placed, again, other than the posse cut that I would have wished were replaced with just a mock solo track, but Earl does a really good job. Year Old Droog on the track Poor House, really nice track. Your old drug is an NYC wordsmith and frequent collaborator with Mock. Their chemistry is fantastic and really comes through really well. Marshmallow Test is a gorgeous track, gorgeous, amazing production, and the rhymes come through well. And then overall, I think the album starts and finishes on really high notes and really set the stage nicely uh, with really impassioned performances from Mock. Uh, delivering that signature kind of oddball, high art approach to his rhymes, particularly on NJ Ultra, the concluding track, where you can hear his voice crack at times, adding to the emphasis and passion behind his words, really defiant, it comes through really confident, and ends the album on a really high note. So to conclude, you know, after my initial disappointment was kind of processed, I realized that, Other than a couple criticisms being Clout Dracula's inclusion on this project and the brevity, I really do like this album. Because although it could have been more impactful uh, for the reasons that I previously stated, this album still does succeed in delivering that key message, that key Makami ethos that he perfectly raps about on the penultimate track, Squeaky Hinge, where he says, Ma Hami must have saw something outside of his core. Everybody got it for the cheap. He got it for more. And he repeats this twice. And this refrain perfectly encapsulates everything about what I mentioned about how Mach was such a pioneer in the game. And that and that line says it perfectly. Ma Hami, he's speaking in third person here. He clearly saw something greater inside of himself that he was capable of doing that others thought was impossible thought was stupid you can't sell your albums for that much you can't just avoid streaming and just try to make a career treating your music this way that's not going to work but mock saw and bet on himself saw the potential and bet on himself and and look at where he is now everybody else is selling their music just at the regular cheap prices depending on streaming and the pennies that you get from that, whereas he sells his music truly like a rare collectibles for high prices, limiting the availability of it, and thriving, and absolutely thriving. And more than that, that ethos that I'm speaking on, and that line in particular, Makami must have saw something outside of his core. Everybody got it for the cheap, he got it for more. It makes my opening criticisms of the album not necessarily, you know, not necessarily following through with the backing up the mystique and weight that surrounded this album. It makes that criticism irrelevant and moot. And why that is, is because what Mach has successfully done is he's taken control over his art and the process in which it's being valued. He took control over the process that values and evaluates his art to where he himself set this lofty price for this album. He didn't let people like me have an opinion who have an opinion on if it's truly worth this much money or if it's truly so good that it doesn't need to be distributed across all streaming platforms and all this and that or it's not long enough to justify this, that, and the third. He made it so... He isn't subject to the same market forces, the same consumer demand forces that any other project has to succumb to. He took control of that and he set his, set his price, set his value, and stood firm in that his whole career. And he has essentially won that argument because it doesn't matter how valuable I think the project is. He triumphed in making it so what he believes his worth is He stood firm in it and never let that sway at all. So this powerful moment on Squeaky Hinge, really to sum this up, illustrates this mission statement of his so well, that of a pioneering artist who successfully shifted the paradigm and refused to let his music get commodified. And I think that's really special. And it's certainly been an approach that's been uh, getting more popular in the underground scene and will certainly need to get more popular as COVID continues to impact touring in the music industry where a lot of younger artists were depending upon to to make money because, again, streaming doesn't get you much money, so true album sales and merchandise and other ways to kind of market your, your work is going to be absolutely vital to staying afloat. And yeah, so overall, I love this project. I think, again, it could have been a little better in parts and for my reasons previously stated, but... So I give this album a strong 8.3 out of 10. It's really grown on me the more I listen to it, which is no surprise because Mox lyricism is very layered and takes a lot of time to digest. Okay, I'm going to move on and, and kind of deep dive quickly on another project that came out over the past couple weeks, and that's the Boldy James record that was all produced by Jay Versace. So Jay Versace is a producer, Instagram star turned producer who really made a name for himself just off one beat off that West Side Gun, Pray For Paris album earlier this year, uh, the track Versace. And I remember in my review of this album in my top 20 of the mid-year, episode 3 of QLC TV, I was super, super high on Versace. I was super high on that production in particular. And I had a lot of high hopes for this album. But unfortunately I think it doesn't it doesn't really deliver what it could have. It's it's a Boldy James album and I had previously talked about his record with The Alchemist earlier this year and that and how it was a bit lacking in, in being dynamic, in being a true complement to support Boldy's very monotonous, steady flow. Uh, because his later project that he released with Sterling Tolls which I reviewed in episode 5 of QLC TV, that project really delivered because it was very free-flowing, the jazzy production was very psychedelic at times and, and changed up a lot to keep the album sounding fresh and exciting. And I think Boldy's project here takes another a step back in the wrong direction in terms of it suffers from the same problems that Price of Tea had but actually lacks some of the memorability of some of those beats and lacks the memorability of some of those uh, performances from Bobby. From Bobby, what am I saying? From Boldy as well. Uh, Boldy sounded like he was on cruise control for the majority of this project. And although his cruise control is still very good rapping, it's, it's more casual in an effort than I would have liked. And... That coupled with the production from Jay that was was nice, it was sweet, it was smooth. It was a little too simplistic and didn't take enough chances. And to top it off, it had a, a, like two pretty long skits at the beginning of ends of songs, and it was overall a 23-minute album, so that really hampered the flow of the of the project. You know, in isolation, the beats are good, but put all together... They don't change up enough. They come off a little too nondescript and safe than I would have liked. Yeah, so wasn't too high on this project. Still enjoyable. So I'd give it like a 7, like a 6.8 or a 7. I guess I have to to, to pick one. So I give it a a 6.8. Just kind of misses the mark overall when it comes to making this as exciting as, as impactful as it could have been. Okay, so I'll move on and quickly touch upon now some some other projects here that released over the past month starting with this Live project. Live is a artist that exists in that group of artists that work in that lo-fi, underground, rap scene, neo-soul scene uh, with artists like Earl Sweatshirt, Mike and artists like that. And this project, it's called "Couldn't Wait to Tell You," is is really really good. It's it's a neo soul. It's got some psychedelic soul, and her vocals are just very silky smooth, and they clash super nice with this absolutely elegant and excellent jazzy production from a producer that I've I've never heard of. Uh, the The producer for the for the most majority of the project is called Mehiwan. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but they did a great, great job on the production uh, because it, it it changes a lot, it's very textured, it's very detailed, and it complements Liv's uh, personality because her personality really shines through throughout this project. It's very warm, it's very inviting, and it has a lot of highlights uh, within this still very cohesive and well-sequenced 20-song, 48-minute project. The vignette style of having so many short tracks littered through the track list, it really adds to the kind of the colorful nature of this album where we get blessed with so many different uh, little nuggets of singing and instrumentation that come off really nice. Overall, I I really do love this project and I'd give it a solid 7.5 on 10. And next I'll move on to this Oblivion project. So this is a, a project by a producer uh, by the name of Black Noise, who is actually Earl Sweatshirt's tour DJ. And he links up with many collaborators from that Earl Sweatshirt ecosystem, like Micah, as I mentioned, Liv, as I mentioned earlier as well. Also others like Danny Brown and Z Loopers, and because he is a Detroit producer, so I guess that's where the Detroit connection comes from. And, the, and other artists like Baby Mother, who I've never heard of before but she absolutely murders her feature on this song on her on this album sorry the sound on this project is quite varied it it ranges from like hardcore hip-hop to electronic inspired r&b hip-hop spacey kind of atmospheric instrumentals and some dance elements or edm or kind of elements put through it it's it's quite a fun listen It's, it's really not something that i expected From an Earl Sweatshirt related artist. But really nice. And if you're in for something that's very high energy. um, But still has some darkness. Still has some grit to it. I I highly recommend this project as well. I'd give it. Like a solid 7. Next I'll I'll, I'll go to this Vic Mensa project. The V-Tape. So Vic Mensa is an artist that I always saw potential in, but I never really got one project from him that I thought was like, okay, this is actually really good. Internet Tape is a project from many years ago when he was first coming up alongside rappers like Chance the Rapper and No Name. And I thought, again, there was some potential. He had a pretty nice singing voice, but he also sounded way too much like a clone of Chance the Rapper at the time. He had that very, like, high pitched like skittery flow that chance was known for at the time on acid rap and he just seemed like a less interesting version of him but then he transitioned into getting to a little more like a rapper that talks about more serious topics entered allowed a lot more darkness to enter his music and again there were some moments here and there but none of his projects were all that good to me and then he really started to fall off over the past three four years like, he had this punk rock album. I don't even want to give you the name of it because it's just disgustingly... It, that's mean. It's not disgusting, but it's just really not good. And he just seemed to be falling off. Like, I don't know what has been, was going on in his life. But out of nowhere, he drops this EP, I think, mixtape. It's about 26, 7 minutes. And it's actually good. It's actually good. I'm I'm super surprised, to be honest like it's actually a solid project yeah there's some kind of like overly sugary hooks that i think he's always been doing i feel like he's like he loves that like kanye graduation style sound and sometimes he pulls on it but he doesn't have any of the finesse or songwriting capabilities to pull it off so some songs like on track 6 it doesn't i don't really love that hook but for a short listen it really does actually pack a punch particularly the first 3 songs the intro is fantastic Really great bars on that. I like the production pretty much throughout the project. Track 3 is an absolute banger with Hit Boy. Um, Hit Boy's having a great year for himself. Nas' album just dropped yesterday and I'm going to be, or two days ago, and I'll be reviewing that in the next episode. But that's a really catchy song. And overall, it's just really nice to see him kind of come back to life. Subject Matter is is decently engaging throughout as well. It's, It's really surprising. Vic Mensa is definitely back. I'm definitely looking forward to what he does next. And yeah, I'll I'll leave it at that. I'm gonna I don't really want to rate it. I haven't really given that project enough time to really give it a rating as it just came out two days ago. But I, I do think it's it's worth a listen. And lastly I'll end with this Pharrell Jay-Z track that was released. It's in conjunction with a Time magazine article that's coming out on Pharrell and about, like, I think, black entrepreneurship, and the song is about pretty much black entrepreneurship. Beat-wise, really, kind of a mess. Not really impressive. Definitely not one of Pharrell's best beats. Pharrell himself is just doing way too much on this the song. Just, just too much. It just came off kind of annoying. And then Jay Z's feature verse. His rapping style, some of the wordplay was nice. Like I liked, I liked the wordplay overall, but the content of it, it's kind of, kind of made me feel a little bit sour. It just came off like in poor taste, to be honest. Like he raps things about kind of like shunning or dismissing Black Twitter, being like, oh, get off Black Twitter. You're not making money off that. The white man, Jack, is the owner of Twitter. Jack Dorsey is making money off that stop wasting your time start your business buy less gucci buy more fubu which is like a black-owned business and it's just especially in a time like this with all the uprising in the united states surrounding black lives matter it just seems i mean to add to that actually because the context doesn't matter for my feelings on this song the covid pandemic and just how blatant and how much it's this whole pandemic has made it clear that the ruling class and not only the United States, but the world is just absolutely abusing the working class in so many ways to have a song. That's pretty much just work harder and maybe, and not maybe work harder and you will definitely defy all your circumstances and you will make it. You will be rich like me one day. It's just stupid. Like, are we done with this? Pull your, self-up-your-bootstraps type messaging. I don't want to hear this, and I especially don't want to hear this from a billionaire. So yeah, overall, I don't really like this track. Definitely forgettable musically, and then content-wise, it just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. So before I wrap up this episode of QLC TV, I want to mention that look out for a Spotify playlist that'll be updating regularly that'll just have a mix of like new music I'm listening to these days but also some older music that I'm listening to these days. I'm gonna call it the QLC TV Power Hour. It'll be an hour of music that I hope brightens your day and allows me to do the dirty work for you in being your musical plug if you will and finding these great cuts of beautiful musical delicacies and sending it your way. So look out for that on my, my link tree and on all the posts that I'll be posting on social media for the upcoming episode uh, of QLC TV. Thank you everybody for listening. I really appreciate the support. I love doing this and I can't wait to continue doing more of these episodes of QLC TV moving forward. If you want to follow me, support the podcast, Please subscribe on all the podcast channels that you use, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and so on. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter, at Rowview, so that's R-O-H-V-I-E-W, and shoot me a comment, send me a DM, and feel free to suggest whatever topic you think I should cover, whether it be some political discussion, music, etc., or if you just wanted to... Send me some feedback about something that you think I should improve on or consider changing as it relates to the show. I'm definitely all ears. I wanted to start this podcast to to help myself grow, help myself uh, express myself more efficiently, more concisely, more effectively. So I'm always open to anything that I should. I didn't want, whether it be about how I deliver the show or just to criticize some horrible take that I had. I'm all ears. And I'd like to extend in open invitation to anybody who's listening right now who would like to join me in a discussion on any topic of your liking just shoot me a dm post a comment and i would love to do that because i want to connect with you guys who are listening as much as i can and foster a community so thank you once again for listening peace